Hello, everyone. I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Welcome back, queens. We have Renee Hodges, and she has one heck of a a crew that tore it up this past weekend that hopefully we'll get to talk about today um, as an endurance coach. She is a physical therapist, endurance coach in Phoenix, Arizona, specializing in endurance sports related to injury rehabilitation and performance coaching. Renee studied at Augustana College in Rock Island. Augustana. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) Receiving her Bachelor of Arts in Biology in 2000 and then completed a Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from A.T. Still University in 2003. The impetus for blending careers as a physical therapist and coach began when Renee transitioned away from team sports and developed a passion for running in 1996 and triathlon in 2007. During the early years of participating in endurance sports, the countless mistakes made, such as overtraining, reds, and soft tissue injury, brought a desire to blend personal experience with current evidence to help athletes avoid the same mistakes and reach their performance potential. Renee owns Foundation Physical Therapy and Endurance Coaching, which is a physical therapy practice and a coaching team combined. The backbones of the team rest on the idea that the focus on health must come first for sustainability as an athlete. When not working or training, Renee enjoys spending time with her husband and adorable dog, Murph. Welcome, Renee. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on here today. Yeah, we're excited to chat with you. All right, so I'm going to put you in the hot box right at the beginning. Wow. How many of your athletes <laughs> had some big PRs this past weekend? Oh, my gosh. It was an exciting weekend. Um, just about every athlete that raced had a bike PR. Um, we had one athlete in particular that's coached by Andrea that had an enormous 16-minute PR Holy on the bike. Moly. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. She's been working really hard for several years to get to this point. So it was a it was a really good weekend for all of our athletes, and we're really proud of them. Oh, congrats. That's exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Well, first of all, what got you intrigued in physical therapy, and how did you bridge this into your endurance coaching that you've been doing now? Oh my gosh, I um, am reflecting on this. Um, I, it's interesting because I don't have the traditional, at least the story of, of like my friends that became physical therapists. They had a history of going to physical therapy and then became interested in the, the profession because of that. But I didn't, I didn't have physical therapy as a young child. Um, I just loved medicine um, as a young child. I was really interested in medicine and I love people. Um, and I went to college not really knowing what I wanted to do. Um, and one of my professors was an anat- was the anatomy teacher uh, professor, and he asked me to take his class, and I just fell in love. Um, and then that, and I have an aunt who's a physical therapist, therapy assistant. So in talking with her and taking his class, I, that's how I decided to go in this direction. Um, and I'm glad I did. 
because I, I don't know where I would be at this point if I wasn't <laughs> doing physical therapy. <laughs> and then how did you end up kind of combining that into kind of endurance coaching? Well, I was, um, you know, a lifelong athlete and really loved sports and then um, team sports and then transitioned to the individual sports once I was in college because I wasn't good enough to continue on with the team sports in college. But um, just not wanting to let go of sports and, and um, you know, wanting to combine all of the and help athletes learn from all the mistakes that I made from a really young age as an athlete. Um, uh, just seemed like a perfect blend from a rehab standpoint and um, and then taking athletes into the performance standpoint. You know, it's it, honestly the the major change or the major reason that I wanted um, the coaching background is because as I was starting to treat more and more runners, they would come into my office, get better, go back to their coach or go back to their training, get injured, and then come back and see me again. <laughs> it was just this vicious, vicious, you know, cycle that was frustrating. Um, and so when I had a little bit of knowledge to at least talk to them in the office about what their training um, could and should look like, it felt so much more seamless and it felt more um, exactly what the athlete was looking for. Mm-hmm. Trying to put yourself so out of business. Put yourself out of business. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell my athletes that all the time. Like, I, I want to get you to the point where you can do all of this on your own. I want you to be independent. I want you to learn. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in a way, I guess I, I am putting myself out of business. <laughs> well, let's chat a little bit about the endurance athlete. What are some of the areas you feel endurance athletes are improving on in regards to health? And what areas do you feel they still have a bit of a disordered culture? This is uh, another interesting question. Um, so if you um, think, when I think about like my team, my team of athletes, um, I really feel like they are in a different category because they're, um, they're really, really focused around, you know, improving their sleep and looking at priorities when it comes to training, like, we talk a lot about, um, you know, where does training lie in regards to family and work and life and uh, making sure they're not putting the sport in a position in that ranking that really doesn't, you know, deserve to be where it doesn't deserve to be in that ranking. Um, so I feel like my, my athletes, you know, have done a great job around sleep. But when I look at just the broad culture here in Phoenix, I think, There's still a focus on um, leanness as being, um, you know, a sign of success or uh, leanness equating to performance. Um, And then uh, the other thing is the Strava culture. The comparison culture (laughs) is still there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I personally am not on Strava. Maybe I was many, many years ago, but I discourage my athletes from being on Strava because it's too, too easy to make comparisons and then, you know, drive you to make bad decisions. And um, I just, I don't feel comfortable with that. And I don't want my athletes to be around that. If, For the listener if we can help it. who doesn't know what that is, what is that? Strava? Strava. Yeah. Strava, Strava is a, uh, basically a website where you upload your training data to uh-huh. an athlete um, and they award you, um, you know, virtual medals for getting oh, speed. Um, it's like 24 hour competition. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, exactly. So athletes can go on there and see how fast you completed a specific segment um, of, uh, 
you know, a running trail or a road, how fast you pedal, you know, bike down a certain part of a road. And so then they'll go out and they'll try to get the, you know, the king of the mountain or the king of the whatever it is. I don't even know now. I don't follow (laughs) it that close, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's still, it's still ingrained in athletes to, to want to, you know, have that consistent competition. And then that drives the let's go hard all the time uh, Mm -hmm. training that, you know, doesn't turn out to be effective. Again, going back to how that competitive competitiveness trait of personality can get into more right. of the obsessive, right? That overlap. Mm-hmm. Perfection playground. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, and Definitely. Renee, that brings me to my, my next question, which is a perfect segue. Having um, known you in professional circuits, just listening to you um, speak of how you approach your athletes, you you have a unique, compassionate blend that I wish we could mold. Like you just shared, like yeah. aligning the values with their training and making sure that they're in sync together. Tell us how you have this understanding yet very realistic approach and expectation when you're working with your, your athletes. Well, thank you. Um, you know, Maybe a lot of this comes from um, I just really value relationships. Um, and so with my athletes, our our team, we really don't bring on athletes that are looking for short-term goals. So athletes that are looking to do a marathon in 16 weeks, that's really not our jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want athletes that want long-term development or want to be part of a team, want to be part of a culture of athletes that are supportive. So it starts with that first, like, you know, they're coming to us for that long-term development. And then, and this is something I've learned from many, many mistakes over the years, with my newer athletes, I require them to have weekly phone calls. So I, I like to have that consistent and constant communication where, you know, I'm getting to know them and I'm really you know, I'm not trying to pry it. I'm not trying to, you know, be their mother, but I, I really want to get to know them and um, learn what makes them tick and um, help them, you know, just get the best out of them from getting to know them better. So I, I guess the answer to that question would just be um, developing relationships with my athletes and getting to know them as best as I can um, to help them. And uh, this is an area I'm consistently trying to improve on and consistently trying to learn from other amazing coaches that um, I have in my life as well. Okay, so I'm going to push you a little bit more on that. So tell us, like, <laughs> you have somebody like myself. I would, I'd still like to compete, but I'm not going to push myself like I did when I was in college. Um, got my business I run. I've got my, my kid who's rather busy, my husband. <laughs> I'll keep going and going. (laughs) Like, how do you still help me reach some of these goals, but also understand that I don't have a whole lot to give? Well, um, you know, it's really just seeing how much time you have available and then what we can do in that time. So, you know, if we do the math and just see where where your time allotment is on a day-to-day basis, then that's the time that we have to take care of business during the day, you know, for your workout. Mm-hmm. And we have no more than that. And we can't steal from other areas. We can't, can't steal from sleep. We can't steal from family time. We, we have to make it work with the time that's available to you. you. You're talking about realistic expectations of we're not training for a marathon in 16 weeks. Right. That, that's probably not what 
will happen in a healthy way, right? For someone who's yeah. got a lot going on. Or just yeah, not at all. I, I like that because I remember one time I was really trying to actually like follow a good training program. And as the mileage bumped up, like having to get out the door at 4.30 during the work week to put in like really hard mileage. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing now? I, got, I need a nap before I start my work day. And so I was like, mm -mm, I'm going to have to adjust this training program because it's not going to work. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, Renee, we've we've talked again in these professional circles about both you and I, and I know Kara does too, we believe that the athlete that has recovered from an eating disorder or recovered from REDS can still compete. There, there's a lot of myths that it's expected that they just kind of bow out of performing and they, they, don't, they can't have performance goals. How do you kind of navigate maybe or, or approach coaching different for the athlete that has recovered from an eating disorder within the world of endurance sports um, and let's kind of talk about how they can still reach those goals, but be protective of their health. This is an area that I have learned um, so much from in the last year. Um, and one area that I'm, say, I'm consistently <laughs> evolving with, um, I think it comes back to the relationship again and really getting to know the athlete and having honest conversations with the athlete and getting to the point where that athlete trusts you enough to be um, open and honest with you so that you can, you know, ensure that they're making good decisions for themselves. And that when you push them a little bit, you're, you're aligning that with the other changes that need to happen to keep them healthy. So, you know, if you need to push them to get to those performance goals, are they making good decisions around then caloric intake, sleep, you know, other life stressors. That's, that's to me, the, the, the only, you know, avenue right now to help keep, you know, keep them going after the performance goals um, without harming them. Um, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how to force that on anyone without having a really good relationship with them. I've made lots of mistakes in this area. Um, and to me, it always just seems to come back to that quality relationship that you have with your athlete, that honest, honest relationship. But I really appreciate you saying that kind of like, okay, if we're going to push up this training, this level of intensity of training, these are the things that you're going to have to do to be able to sustain, you know, sustain that. And then if they don't be like, okay, I'm going to have to back off on training at this point. Yeah. And then, you know, and then have that athlete trust that they're going to be willing to make those changes or back off a little bit. You know, I know several athletes, you know, they'll, they'll say, they'll they be yes to everything that you ask them to do, but then they do something completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that, that trust isn't there. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's, it's just a lose-lose battle. Um, so the, I don't know. I don't know if this seems too seems too simplistic, but it seems like that trust is the biggest thing well, yeah. in, in getting the best out of all these uh, all of my athletes, all of our athletes. Well, this um, philosophy is actually working really well for you <laughs> when a lot of your athletes are getting PRs right now. That is, I mean, just awesome. And again, like the um, the health of the athlete, the relationship you have. Um, I mean, it's really working. It sounds like yeah. 
it doesn't always work. <laughs> you know, like, I've, I've had plenty of failures in my coaching career. Um, it doesn't always work because, you know, it's always a two-way street. The athlete has to be just as open as the, as the coach. But, you know, and then there's lots, lots of times where the personalities just don't jive as well. But when they do, it's a pretty amazing experience. I've had some of those, you know, really euphoric relationships with athletes before. And it's, it's inspiring. It's exciting. And that's what I live for as a coach. Well, I'm just thinking as you're talking about that, that relationship piece, and it kind of goes back to some personality traits that some of the athletes have, endurance athletes, is you have to have an ability to be vulnerable, right, to have that type of relationship with your team and your coaches. So I'm just thinking that that has to be a willingness on the other the other end of it, that vulnerability piece. Yes, and, and that's you know, something I've had to learn. I'm not the greatest at being vulnerable. I, um, in fact, being stoic is probably something I would much prefer to do than be vulnerable. But mm-hmm. um, it's I've learned so much from my athletes that are vulnerable. Um, I have some that are just incredible at talking about, you know, their their feelings and their life, and they're completely honest with themselves. And I've learned so much from them um, in that process. But yeah, being being vulnerable, that's usually where the, the, the stickiness comes from is that lack of vulnerability. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Renee, thanks okay. so much for giving us some of the information and um, your take on things. So we like to end every interview with how you live out the fit philosophy, balancing performance, health, intellect, and time for self as you're helping so many others try <laughs> to figure this out. Wow. Well, uh, this is a work in progress. Um, I am not good at balancing things. I love to work. I love <laughs> coaching and I love training. So um, the one thing I don't have is children. So, you know, I have a little bit more freedom um, in my life. So when I'm, um, I, I, yeah, I'm not balancing anything. <laughs> um, but, uh, when I'm doing my best, there's this nice little flow of um, I'm training uh, tra- for triathlons, um, I'm working a little bit and coaching a little bit, and life is and spending some time with friends, and then life is is pretty good there. But, well, that sounds like yeah, you're balancing. I think you're doing just fine, Renee. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. I am a work in progress. Oh, <laughs> we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it it shows you love what you do. And, you know, that saying, it doesn't feel like a day of work when you love what Mm. you do. And so maybe that's why it just feels like, well, I'm not balancing. I'm just going with it Mm because I like it. It's feeling good. Yeah. Nothing wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I, I love what I do. It, it, I could do it all day long if I didn't need sleep. But <laughs> Oh, sleep so good. Gets, gets in the way. <laughs> As we're looking at my computer that my daughter put a sticker that says, I love naps because she knows her mommy loves power naps. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I love naps too. I'm going to steal that little magnet. <laughs> Renee, yeah, if somebody wanted that. to inquire about your coaching, first, do you do any kind of virtual coaching work if they're not in the Arizona area? Uh, we do. We we have worked with athletes that are not in the Phoenix area. Um, so yeah, we'd be happy to to chat with athletes if they're they're interested. Um, we really focus on the team atmosphere. So we ask if anyone wants to come onto the team that is virtually, they still be um, interested in being interactive in our team forum and um, just being part of the team in that way. Great. And so where can they find you? 
Um, they can get a hold of us uh, at our website, which is foundationpt.net. Um, we're also on uh, social media on Facebook at foundationpt, I believe, um, at both uh, Facebook and um, Instagram. Perfect. Well, we'll put that with the, the show notes as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Renee, right. thank you so much for taking the time coming on, and uh, we'll look forward to following you and your awesome team. Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice talking with you guys today. You bet. Bye, Renee. Bye, Queens. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com. Bye, queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fit for a queen. And Hashtag fit for a queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.